0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are in the planet. I am Doug Howard, and with me today is Dr. Christian Smart, and we're here for Smart Remarks, Howard States. Today we're gonna to talk about a series of topics, including the combined hidden eventual effects of various diseases or maladies that can confront you in your lifetime, managing problems, and the precautionary principle. So, Dr. Christian, smart Christian. Welcome. Good afternoon. How are you today?
1: Doing well. How about you, Doug?
0: Uh, pretty well. We're about ready to face the biggest heat wave the city has seen since they started to record heat waves. So, um, could get up to 117 here where we are by Sunday. So, uh, I'm trying to stay cool. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Legendary heat. Legendary that- heat.
1: Is that record breaking for your
0: area? Yeah, it could be the all-time record actually for the uh several parts of the city. So that could be that could be here Saturday or Sunday, we don't know yet. So uh yeah, uh so we're gonna manage that problem here by trying to stay inside. But I, I had a problem today that I, I wanted to bring up to the to our audience, and you know it's It's a health related thing. It's not the health related topic of the day, but it gets, we'll we'll tie it back to that. And um, I had for the first, the third time in my life, a a skin cancer. Now, I I had had one 10 years ago that was on the top of my head, and the people that were tending to me kind of let it run away from them. And it went so far that it actually touched my skull. So I had uh, bone cancer for a while. And they had to irradiate my skull and, um, you know, several radiation treatments, uh, 34 of those, um, several plastic surgeries just to make my, my skull get back to the shape it was in. And I was told by my current dermatologist that had I let that go on for another couple of weeks, that, 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 that the cancer that was in the bone could have easily made its way into the brain. And, you know, that would have been lights out. All right. Oof. So I had a problem today. I mean, you can go to the doctor and you say, doctor, how are you doing? So, well, you know, 99% of you, Doug, 99% of you is doing just well, but you've got this little growth down here on your on your calf. Now this growth was talking about managing the problem and we're going to talk about eventual effects and hidden effects and combined effects as we talked about later, but this growth that I had in my skin came from a fall that I had taken about a year ago that I had stitched up. And as my dermatologist was explaining to me today, as they were cutting out the skin cancer, is that once you get a a wound, it, if it doesn't heal properly, the the skin more or less can get confused and it can allow a cancer to form. And that's what happened with me today. So the point about managing a problem, and this gets back to something I learned back in my days at the Skunk Works is that you don't have to manage the things that are going well. You have to manage the things that are going to go badly. So I remember being in the first meeting of the uh, Lockheed U-2. That's the spy plane that they have that goes up really high in the air. And um, we were restarting the line and we were going around the room and the program manager was asking everybody to tell them what was going on in their in their section. And so the the, the the very first guy started to make up a bunch of, tell the manager a, a long tale of everything that was going right and there was, you know, everything was just perfect. And the manager stopped him about a minute into his spiel there and he said, look, we don't man- need to manage things that are going well, we need to manage things that are going poorly. And if something's going poorly in your area now and it's early and it's going poorly, we can, we can turn it around so it doesn't become a bigger problem later. And if we don't turn turn around early and I have to turn around late, I probably have to fire you. So tell me the problems that you have now so we can (laughs) fix them now. And that is part and parcel of what you're trying to do with uh, your risk stuff, isn't it, Christian?
1: Yes. So if you want to handle risks, you need to plan for them up front, right? You shouldn't wait until they arrive and then try to react because then it's too late.
0: Yes. And so uh, now you, you would, in, in so doing, you, you would try to isolate the areas that are highest risk too, right? And trying to, again, managing problems. There are certain things that probably wouldn't be a problem with, a say, a space program or a, or a, a building of a freeway or think, something like that. But then there are areas that are more fraught with difficulties. So, so those would be areas that you would try to concentrate on, wouldn't you?
1: You you would you you but you need to look at that across the board. It's just that some areas we don't do as good a job at it. Engineering uh, uses something called safety factors, where they they design, and you know, they don't just say, okay, well we want there to be a nine nine percent chance the bridge won't break when a semi truck drives over it. We want there to be a really high chance, you know, much beyond that. Right. So those bridges are designed to be well beyond. A 99% probability of it working, you know, And so, engineering, you know, kind of in terms of the actual things that work, it tends to get it right in that regard. But many other areas of society, we don't, we don't do that. So that's where we get, that's where we come into problems.
0: Yeah, I, I can't help but think that we haven't really addressed the as we're speaking here today. It's um, I didn't mention that we're on the third of September 2020, and we are. Still in the grips of the covid nineteen outbreak, and christian and and i more, Christian more than me, but have been writing about this in terms of the uh the math of the of the problem and it's it's very interesting now christian that the the disease when it first manifested itself went you know went as according to the way I would have guessed it would have gone, which is to say it went after population dense zones and it went after it, it was aided and abetted by people who were traveling so that that those were of some of the vectors by which the disease was making making its progress and and what we've seen recently as your work shows that that's changed recently hasn't it uh
1: yes yeah. so if you look at uh where the hotspots were originally they were in the large population dense cities in the northeast new york city very a highly dense population. That was you know, one of the first outbreaks. The, the, the disease may have actually entered the country. There was a large conference in Boston um, late in the winter, and, and uh, that may have been the, the, the vector for most of the spread of COVID. The United States was from that uh, large conference, and, and that, was, that happened before there was any idea of trying to shut things down or try to control things. Um, so yeah, so it, it hit Boston pretty hard early on. Also, uh, these areas um, where there are where there are vulnerable populations like, like nursing homes, uh, they didn't know to take care and try to isolate. So it ra- really ravaged nursing homes early on in the Northeast. And that's about 40% of the deaths are in, are uh, people that are in nursing homes and what they call elder care. So yeah, it did, it did hit those very hard. I did some analysis that showed uh, you could explain most of the variation and a few factors. Um, and uh, one of them was population density um and uh, you know and, and so that's uh, that's a big big part of it uh and also the the uh, number of miles of interstate in a state also made a difference so not just the population density but also h- how much people travel around within a state uh makes a difference so um so you you saw that now you're seeing it in more rural areas um, there was what they call a super spreader event in august been a large motorcycle rally where there were hundreds of thousands of people that this, this event. Uh, the first death from that's just been recorded, but now you see wow. cases are on the rise. You know, cases are surging in North Dakota, South Dakota. They're also surging in Iowa. Iowa never really shut down, but it, it is a more rural state, a lot of farmers. So it, uh, didn't spread as fast early on, but now you're seeing a significant spread there. Part of it is due to colleges have reopened. Um, uh, and then uh one one uh one of the colleges is planning to play football as well so that's uh, an area of concern. So one of the big colleges. So you know you are seeing like a, I think I think one of the colleges in Iowa has a thousand cases. Oh my so you're seeing a you're seeing a pretty big big spread there. So uh yeah that's 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 another thing that's gonna cause cases to spread around the country is those places where high schools and colleges and other schools are reopening. You're starting to see surges uh, in my uh, own home state of Alabama, where I grew up. Um, University of Alabama has over twelve hundred cases. Wow. Auburn University has over five hundred cases. So you're seeing a dramatic spread there as well.
0: And, and I think we were talking earlier that the uh, the Big Ten, which is which is currently a misnomer, they've got what fourteen teams in the Big Ten.
1: Yes, yeah, like the yeah, it's Big Ten or twelve or thirteen, something
0: like that. Yeah, right. The Big Ten canceled its season, and and you were reporting that uh, one of these universities had some of the football players were having some pretty dramatic symptoms coming out of their COVID cases, right?
1: Yeah, so one one of the Penn State doctors um, was looking at or you know, checking out the athletes that tested positive, and he had noticed that about a third of them whether they had symptoms of COVID or not, but you know you can still, you know, you can still have COVID not express any symptoms, outward symptoms like shortness of breath or uh, congestion, you know, congestion or, um, but about a third of those athletes, whether they had the symptoms or not, that they had, uh, they also had myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart muscle and it wow. can potentially be fatal. So just because it, um, just because you don't have symptoms doesn't mean that you could have some underlying physical damage uh, from the disease. Yeah. So one of the things for, that's one of the reasons why the big big 10 uh, the big 12 also pulled the plug on football, but that, that kind of uh, data um, led them to do that. I think that was probably the right decision. So, you know, the SEC, the ACC, they're still planning on playing, but um, other teams are planning on playing. I think uh, there's actually some college football games kicking off tonight. Wow! Uh, Division One, uh, University of Alabama Birmingham is uh, is one of those teams.
0: Well, I saw the the English Premier League picked up its season um, after a break, and they didn't report very many cases. But then again, they're not in as well. They're in, they're in close contact, but not nearly as close contact as you get with with football. I don't think, right?
1: Right, right. The U.S. Open tennis tournament started, but players wearing masks and they're, they're outdoors, uh, and not as much locker. I think the the issue I would see is even though football is outdoors, these athletes are all together indoors at the same right. time. So this is right. so spread, locker. but yeah. locker rooms. And, uh, you know, one of the, um, one of the advisors, uh, to the president, Scott, I think his name is Scott Atlas of Hoover Institute said that, well, football players don't need to worry about it. Cause there's some of the healthiest individuals around <laughs> because they're, constantly working out, but if, if it's damaging their heart and they're running out there exerting themselves, I mean, we can have, pe- we can have football players dropping dead on the football field.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's that's something we have to manage, and um, we're not doing that yet. So we're we, we, here in California, we've got um, kind of spotty mask mandates. I mean, the governor's got a, a statewide mandate, but it's not being uniformly not universally enforced, um, you can go outside and, you know, most agree that being outside is probably the best place for you to be with this situation because the the UV light kills much of the COVID, but there's still the possibility of spreading it from one person to another when you're outdoors. And, um, so we see a lot of people that aren't wearing masks when they're outdoors, even if they're in proximity to people, which is, uh, Troubling, from from my standpoint, I don't want to pick it up by just having to walk by somebody that has it. So we, we always go with our masks. Yeah. What what's the what are the rules right now in 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 Tennessee? What are you doing there?
1: So in Tennessee, there's no statewide mask mandate, which is unfortunate. But the local county where I live has a mask mandate, which is good. Um, so uh, the and the, the the county mayor, who's the one that enforced that was um, he, he was very reluctant to start it, uh, but, he, but he more or less gave it a try and uh, back a couple of months ago. And um, and then we started looking at the data, quickly found that um, recovery started outpacing the increase in active cases. And so um, the data was showing that masks work and the mask mandate just a few days after they, they issued that uh, once the mask mandate went into effect, you quickly saw the, the impact of it. So, um, he extended it, uh, through the, through the end of, uh, July,
0: wow, great. Uh, through
1: the end of August. And then before the end of August, he extended it to the end of September. So, uh, he said, he says because the data show that it, it works and he, um, so yeah, so we're, we currently have a mass mandate to the end of September. I hope he extends it again. Uh, you know, one of the things they found with this, uh, the mask mandate is not just that it uh, also help, help, helps prevent the spread, but it also helps reduce the severity of the disease. So you have less viral load if you're wearing a mask, and you don't t- you don't tend to get as sick uh, than if you uh, don't wear a mask. So, so yeah, so we we the the local county has one. There are some of the other larger counties in the state. They also have uh, mass mandates. There's no statewide mass mandate. The only thing the governor's done was he issued an order saying that the the local leaders could uh, issue mass mandates. That's one thing he's done, but he's refused to issue one, issue one statewide, so that's unfortunate. Um, with schools reopening here, we are seeing an increase in cases to some extent. Um, active cases, which is important statistic, but it's kind of overlooked. Which looks at the new infections and then subtracts out people that have recovered from the disease. Mm-hmm. Not all states track it; Tennessee does, though. Um, that seemed to have peaked around August thirteenth here wow. in the state of Tennessee, uh, but but schools reopening now it seems to be on upswing a little bit. Oh, uh, we'll see if that peak still holds. It's um, uh, the other. There, there was also an outbreak at a at a prison, um, and you know, so these people are all stuck together indoors, and so it spreads pretty rapidly there. Okay. So that's uh, that's another source of of uh, increasing COVID in the state.
0: Well, one of the things we saw here in a prison that that people were taking a mask that had been infected with COVID, and they were pass- the prisoners were passing it around among themselves, hoping that here in this state that they the uh, they would get an early release because they wouldn't want to have sick people in the prison. So sometimes you get unattended consequences from. From rules that you have in place. So the the rule that would have been in place in some cases would have been that they would have taken people that were sick in a prison and moved them out of the prison. So once some of the prisoners got wind of that, they they acted in a way in which they ended up getting more cases, which nobody wanted. So a lot of this ties back to the uh, principle that you wanted to talk about today, too. precautionary principle.
1: Yeah, so the Right, so the precautionary principle, which is a, you know, a, a, a framework for thinking about decision making in the presence of risk and the presence of uncertainty, you know, should apply here. Uh, we, we should be taking that into account. The precautionary principle basically says, in a nutshell, that um, when, when you, you're faced with uncertainty and there's a good bit of risk in that uncertainty, which is the probability of or the possibility of something bad happening. Then you should err on the side of caution. Um, and there, you know, you do have to take into account benefits and costs, but in this case, um, you know, the the potential uh, costs of uh, and the potential risk outweigh uh, the uh, the cost of avoiding it. So we need to be careful about starting back football, uh, resuming normal lives, to, you know, not not wearing masks um, just just because we see some amount of data that says well. If you are a healthy individual, um, there's only a, you know, a 6% chance, um, you know, or less than 6% chance that you'll die, right? Only 6% of people that have COVID have been healthy, have died from it, have been healthy people. So, you know, that's, that's not a, you know, still there's a lot of, we don't know about this. We talked, you know, just a few minutes ago about the uh, inflammation of the heart muscle. Right, that you know, that other secondary effect or of uh, the, the infection that you may or may not have, uh, even if you don't get the disease. I mean, symptoms you still could have some heart damage, so that's that's pretty scary. So we need to act. We need to err on the side of caution here and still be cautious. There's a, still a lot we don't know about the disease. We don't even know if, if once you get it, if you you don't know if you're immune to it. We're still not sure about that. So, or if you do have immunity, how long that lasts. So. We need to err on the caution and, and take this disease very seriously uh, until we fully understand its characteristics, and we're, we're away from that.
0: Well, you know, there's um, some other evidence now that's suggesting that the mortality rate is falling, which, given these other effects, I think that's giving some people a, a, a false sense of security. So, well, on my chances of dying once I get it, are are dropping now that's because the disease has figured out that it's they can't make a good the the virus can't make a good living for itself if it's constantly killing off its host so it 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 um, adapts and mutates such that it doesn't kill as frequently but back to the other point is that you have more you can have more symptoms that are going to pop up and you have symptoms you can have effects that will be that will come downstream in your life that you won't know about. And and that could be that could take years off of your life. I was just listening to, to Dr. Brent Weinstein on his Dark Horse podcast. He was saying there's a lot of things you don't know about what because we haven't had the time frame yet. You don't know what this what the how this be, disease will manifest itself years after you contacted it. What do you do? You know you don't, what, what happens then?
1: Right. And, and, you know, we're sitting at 180,000 deaths. Um, you know, people say, well, that can be an overcount. I've seen people claim that, right. you know, hospitals get more funding if they have COVID patients. But uh, if you look at uh, something called excess deaths, which is uh, the CDC has recently studied, you know, what what that looks at is it looks at how many deaths would we expect to see this year based on trends in deaths over time and according to their calculations, there's about another 60,000 deaths or 40 to forty to 60,000 deaths on top of the reported 180,000 deaths that more than what you would expect to see. So if anything, it would seem to me that we're actually undercounting deaths due to COVID. And right. that makes sense to me because early on, you know, someone would, would get the disease, they would die. Um, and basically, the, the cause of death will be listed as pneumonia. They didn't—they never didn't have a test for COVID. They didn't know they had right. it. So, um, so yeah. So there's, you know, about 200,000 deaths and counting, uh, probably due to due to this disease. And um, you know, we've got a—you know—we're a ways away, but a thousand people, you know, pretty much every weekday, a thousand people uh, die of this disease. So we're going to have quite a few more deaths ahead of us we need to be very careful, you know, like thinking about um, in the situation we're in now, we we still don't know a lot about it. You, get, you know, you go back 50, 60 years, you think, well, the same situation might apply to cigarette smoking, for example. You didn't know right. a lot about the characteristics or what the long-term effects of cigarette smoking was on a wide, wide, you know, long-term basis. Um, but, you, you know, there, there was some evidence that it might be harmful. Uh, if, if people had acted on a precautionary principle basis, and have said, "Well, we don't know a lot about it, but there are a lot of we realize there are a lot of risks," um, you know, a, a lot of lives could have been saved. You know, a lot of people um, have have died of lung cancer, and they've also experienced um, degraded health due to chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, emphysema, as a result of long-term cigarette smoking. So, um, you know, if, if we had acted more cautiously. In regards to cigarette smoking years ago, you know, there've been a lot less suffering and a lot fewer uh, premature deaths over time.
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, and and so these these football players that are experiencing the inflamed hearts, you know, that could that event could manifest itself into a some sort of cardiac disease later on, just like. You might have had inflamed lungs it, had you smoked early on, you, they would have found geez, you know, your lungs didn 't really care for that smoke too much, and if somebody were studying your lungs in detail, they 'd say well hey, you've got your lungs are inflamed, and, and you don 't have an immediate effect because you, you haven 't even developed a cough early on, but down the road it took it might take five, ten, fifteen years off your life right
1: right absolutely and this, yeah so and that's what, that's the other thing that you need to be cautious about and and think about logically because just because there's not a lot of um evidence uh that 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 um that, that you may you know suffer long term consequences doesn't mean it could happen right so right the the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence right people right. tend to conflate the two well
0: right
1: well you know i I'll, i I'll probably be okay if i get it you know but but you don't know and and it may not kill you in the short term but it could shorten your life or cause you to have chronic health problems later on
0: you know another another point that you you raised uh, kind of tangentially there was you know at the beginning when they were doing counts you know people were being listed as dying from influenza when the covid might have caused the what looked to be an influenza or uh or um a pneumonia or thing like something like that and so what was fascinating to me was there's, there's some stories being circulated now that only 6%, this was the figure I saw listed just this week, only 6% of the deaths in the COVID crisis are due to COVID alone, read this article. And it, of course, it, it neglected the fact that COVID, brings on with it all these, these other effects that combined end up killing you. So I, they're, they're, they're making, a I I think, a distinction without a difference there, don't you? It, it, that just seems odd to me that somebody's trying to hang their hat on that. And to what end, too? I mean, what, is, what does it tell you if, oh, well, you didn't divide you COVID alone, oh, but you're still dead. I mean, what does that do for, do for us as a people? I don't think it does anything. What do you think?
1: Uh, I mean, you can make an argument about anything. I mean, if you if if someone gets the flu and they don't and they're a healthy individual, they're more likely to live, you know, survive the flu than if they're they have other health problems. So it it really uh it, it really doesn't yeah it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, like you said, there's a distinction without a difference. It's uh they're trying to find some evidence to prove a point. I guess they're um if these are the people right. that want us to try to achieve some sort of herd immunity. Right, 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 um, right. You know, and talking to some of the experts, uh, the, what I've heard recently, you know, the health, these are health experts. These are not right. politicians. These are these are people like Dr. Fauci and uh, other, uh, you know, uh, health experts. Uh, they say, you know, trying to achieve herd immunity is, is foolish because it's going to result in millions of deaths in the United States. You know, not, uh, we're sitting at around 200,000 or so um, but you know, you know that, that we could we could have many more deaths. If we, we'd really try to achieve herd immunity, so that's um, not a, not a good strategy. So we have to um, we really have to be be careful about this because there's a lot of you know we're learning more about the disease every day, but there's still a lot we don't know. So a lot of risks out there.
0: Yeah, and and your point about the herd immunity is that the people that talk about that act as if that is something that's just as easily done, and they don't take into a, into account the, those potential added deaths that would happen had you tried to do that. So Sweden, I think was trying to, trying to go for herd immunity. It didn't go very well for Sweden, did it?
1: No, I mean, it's a small country of about six million people. Um, their, their death rates are down and their case rates are down quite a bit. They, uh, but you're talking about uh, a, a, you know, a country that is fairly rural. Um, they also, you know, the, the Swedish people, the government tells them to do something, they do it. So they've, you know, they've told them to be socially distant. They've told them to yeah. be cautious. So that has had an impact over time. Um, and people aren't getting out and about as much in Sweden as, as used to, um, the other, um, issue with comparing a country like the United States, a country like Sweden is, the Swedes are much healthier than Americans as well. Oh yeah. So yeah, so the rate of diabetes is less than half the rate of diabetes in the United States, so um, you know, if, if COVID is attacking the more um, vulnerable among us, or killing the more vulnerable among us, then, uh, you know, the, the death rate among Americans would likely be higher than that of Swedish, so even so, it's this, this been a disaster for Sweden, though. They've had a much higher death toll per capita than any of their neighboring countries, uh, much higher case rate than any of their neighboring countries, so it's it has not not gone well for them.
0: Yeah, I remember you showing me a map a while back of um of all the Nordic countries. <clears throat> so you've got this map and it's got Norway, Sweden, Finland, and, and the, the lighter colors were the represented the, the countries that had fewer infections and the darker colors represented the the countries that have more infections and so you you could see Norway to the west and Finland to the east both were lighter colors than Sweden right in the middle. Sweden had far more more infections and, and deaths.
1: Yeah it really sticks out like a sore thumb in the middle of all the Nordic countries. Denmark, Sweden, uh, Finland. Yeah they're all, all much lower. Uh, Germany you know. Even... right. Uh, Germany was lower, so um countries were a lot lower um yeah the u the u k was higher, but that 's a different story i mean they they didn 't take it
0: they didn 't take the disease very seriously for a long time no, they did not and that i think that ended up costing them dearly and so now they 're finally taking it seriously and they they kind of got behind the curve and they 're not as they 're not as healthy as their nordic neighbors so right so yeah, that's a that's an issue. So I, I also <laughs> read just today, Christian. I got an invite that you're you're going to have a, a seminar coming up on machine learning. Why don't you tell the uh, the crowd what that's about?
1: Yes. So uh, in addition to my work on risk, I'm also uh, I do a lot of statistical analysis in my work, especially as it relates to cost estimating. And the last few years, I've been working on uh, applying machine learning techniques. To cost testing as well, And machine learning is kind of a, a computer science term that they sort of appropriated. It involves a lot of advanced statistics as well as a few things that are really more computer science uh, oriented, like uh, text analysis, you know, natural language processing, as well as um, reinforcement learning, which is you know kind of gets into the artificial intelligence and the robotics, you know, which reinforcement learning is basically how how people how people learn to do things, mm-hmm. Like how, like how, how you learn to walk, you know, you get, uh, you start trying some things when you're infant and some things work, some things don't, you fall down, hit your head. Um, my son has a, had a really big head when he was an infant, just normal, but just, you know, kind of on the bigger side. And, uh, as a result, I think he was a little top heavy. So he used to fall quite a bit and hit his head. So every time something didn't go wrong, he got negative feedback, right. um, uh, the way of getting his head. And, uh, so he was a little ca- he was very cautious about about walking and really didn't learn to let go until he was about 14 months old but um but, you know to, so basically he learned through trial and error and he got negative feedback when he didn't do the right thing and then he got positive feedback or sometimes absence of negative feedback when he did the right thing and um so eventually was able to learn so that's kind of where machine learning comes from is the application statistics also involves uh, moving a little bit beyond Excel sometimes uh, and and uh, having to use some uh, computer uh, you know, platforms like uh, what software do you with what, what Cisco the Cisco uh, programming package R is uh, one yeah. I primarily use for that um, yeah. Python is also very popular for that that's a pretty fairly easy to use programming language that has a lot of libra- libraries built for uh, doing machine learning um, R is is designed for statistical analysis and it uh has a lot of great packages you can do a lot with a little bit of coding in R um works really well so doing that so yeah so i'm doing a a, a webinar for the uh international cost assessment and analysis association on machine learning it's be, you know about a 45 minute presentation with some worked examples and with some time at the end you know so it's so i scheduled for an hour or so uh, be some time at the end and during the presentation for questions and uh, for people to ask. So, if you're interested in machine learning and how it can apply to um, cost estimating as well as other fields, if you're curious about machine learning, you can you should uh, sign up for it. You can do that on the International Cost Estimating and Analysis website. So that's why uh, should tell coming up on October
0: first. Tell them the website. And name. It's
1: I C E A A Online dot com. I think that's the website. Yeah, I think you're right. So, or... yeah, so, uh, yeah, so there's, there's, there's that. I'm also giving a, an overview of my uh, book to the ITCast, the Joint Software and ITCast uh, Forum, on the 17th. So, right, uh, you can excellent. sign up for that too. That's that's free. The ASIA webinar is, uh, I think, it's $25 for ASIA members and $100 for non-members.
0: Yeah, well, I'll be there. I'll be listening in. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Excellent. Yes. So, um, I, I guess I was reading today Palantir. Have you heard of Palantir? The, uh, yes, yes,
1: company, yeah.
0: It's another one of uh, Teal's companies, Teal, Teal of PayPal fame, and uh, Peter Teal. And so they do, they've got some proprietary machine learning that they're using, right? That's what, that's what they're selling.
1: Yes, so you know the palantir. I think it comes from as a reference to the, the Lord of the Rings. Right? There's just yeah. like a crystal ball that you that they could use to, see things happening in another remote location. Um, and so the yeah, so that's palantir is basically trying to trying to see, get insight into things, that are coming up or or get inside the to, to uh, you know try to do some predictive analysis.
0: I wonder if palantir can predict when they're going to make a profit. They haven't done that yet
1: yeah they've been, they've been uh they've been losing a lot of money so yes yeah, so i read an article about that, that said that they that they were for to generate revenue they had to spend a lot of money so um <laughs> that they uh that that for every every dollar that they generate revenue they had to spend two dollars to you know something like that has been a lot you know more money to make money than they than they actually received in return so it's um not working out too well for them right now but maybe maybe they will eventually uh you say, that, you say that with some other tech companies as well. And, um,
0: well, I, I was the, most notably, I think the the Uber and Lyft yes. debacles. Uh, and I call them debacles pointedly because what, what's fascinating about this, and, and while Christian's work is, is primarily on, on risk, the work that I do is is primarily comparing value, demand, and cost at the same time, and then applying risk on all those parameters afterwards. And so what I mean by value in our vernacular is the sustained price for a product based on its features. So when you're looking at a ride that Uber is offering, when, when I'm trying to hail a ride you know, pre Uber from say a taxi service, there's the, the, time, the, the time I have to wait for the, the services is a feature I'm considering. I want that to be low. And then, if the taxi you know arrives, the the speed with which the taxi can get me to my destination is a feature, and of course the distance of the taxi taking me to my destination. And then I might rate it for other things such as the comfort of the of the taxi. And I think most of us know that in many cities the average taxi isn't as clean as the or as nice as the average Uber car ride might be. And so in in I, I believe it's very easy to prove if you had all the data, I don't need to have all the data just to see what they're doing, but if you had all the data and you took this is something that we did, Christian. in fact, this is what we were looking at to um talk about how to plan for urban air mobility. urban air mobility is 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 uh, NASA speak for electric helicopters moving around a city that could be carrying people. And one of the things you want to know, if, if it's going about a city carrying people, not coming into a city, because you can come to the edges of, say, Manhattan from airports and land on the East River, the Hudson, or at the southern tip of uh, Manhattan by helicopter. But what you can't do now is you can't go across the city and land on a, on a, on a high rise easily. They don't let you do that very frequently. And so urban air mobility might let you do that. Well, in order to figure out what you're going to do with urban, urban air mobility is you have to figure out the, the number of people that are being carried on average because you have a certain weight that you're going to be able to carry with these electric helicopters, which isn't very much. And you've got a certain distance that you're going to have to travel, which if it's within the city, won't be a great distance. And so one of the things that we discovered, and this was kind of interesting, Christian, is that 70-some, 70, 70 I think it was 74% of all the rides cab rides in New York City because New York City tracks all this stuff so 74% of all the rides for a given month and there were 10 million of them nearly in uh, New York City in a given month 74% of those were single single riders and then another 13% were for for two riders Hmm. and so Uber and, and most of these rides were you know five miles or less and there's, there's data, there's data there, we didn't pick it up, but there's data there that shows you what they're charging. And of course, the I think everybody knows that Uber is undercutting the taxis by anywhere from a third to two thirds, depending on the route. And, and that's kind of the whole problem that Uber has is that they're offering a, a, a service, again measured by the value features. So in other words, you can get your Uber typically much more quickly than a cab in most places in the world, because Uber's all over the place. So they've got that going for them. And the, and the, te- the uh, Uber vehicles are typically nicer than the cabs. So they've got those two features going for it. And then they've got the, they're going the same distance, but then they're, they're maybe charging, as I said, anywhere from a third to two-thirds less than the competition. Well, the, the ride is worth more than that. I mean, it's demonstrably worth more than that because the cabs are getting more than that. They were getting more for that, for a, a service that in many cases wasn't as good. So the the conclusion one could draw is, well, the, the Uber's doing that and left because they want to put the cabs out of business and take over the, the business completely at a certain point. And then they won't have to worry about competition. But you still have to worry about getting drivers. And I, I guess the answer they might say to that is, well, we want to have driverless Uber's and left sooner enough, so maybe we're going to do that. But what they've managed to do, excuse me, what they managed to do over the course of over near, I think it's eleven years that Uber's been up. They've, they they're losing money, as they say, hand over fist. Christian, there you are, just losing money hand over fist. And I I I don't understand that from that standpoint because that the the ability to price that correctly is very well known. Right. And yet they're not abiding by it. It it just doesn't make sense to me.
1: So do you think? I mean, what do you think? Do you think longer term they're going to just have to raise their prices to make money? Or
0: I think so. Yeah, I think they could make yeah. make money if they wrote if they raise their prices. Now, what's what's also happening here in California is there's a debate about the nature of the of the ride hailing systems. Are they are they contractors to the companies, as oh, yes. Uber and Lyft suggest? Are they contractors, which is how the current coding of their revenue—the co- current coding of the revenue—reflects that. So they get ten ninety nines at the end of the year. Or are they employees? And so, if they're employees, then they'd have to, you know, the, these companies that are already losing money, as we just pointed out. <laughs> would have to pay things like health care and disability insurance and workers comp and all that kind of good stuff. So what are they? And um, you know, this state wants to make, make them employees. And that's going to further squeeze, squeeze those, those businesses in a direction in which they don't want to go. So I, I would offer that what they need to do is they need to at a minimum raise their rates. You know, they might lose a few riders, but they would um, their profitability ought to go up. Have you seen that out where you live, or you do you take Ubers very often, or lifts, or? Well, uh,
1: we—I used to, yeah, we used to—we used to use them all the time. Um, you know, when you travel, especially um, if I um, would travel to, to DC, for example, I would I would use it, uh, depending on where I stayed. If, if where I stayed was not. Um, you know, in the Northern Virginia area where I was staying, was not convenient to a metro. Sometimes I would take an Uber to my hotel, and um, sometimes I'll take a cab too because the cabs in the DC airport are right there, so you don't have to right. you know, to summon them; they're ready to go. So, uh, but sometimes if um, I would use uh, Ubers to get around the Northern Virginia area, uh, I've used them to to go to the airport and to 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 come home from the airport because you know, depending on how long you stay actually taking around my uber from the airport even though it's 30 miles uh from my house to the airport is cheaper than parking at the airport so um so i've done that done that a few times that works out pretty well so i've done yeah we and then traveling you know if you are going somewhere and you don't need to rent a car and like we go on cruises for example we'll just take an uber to the hotel and then uh usually there's a Shuttle but where we stay. There's a shuttle from the hotel to the cruise ship, kind of thing. So, well, so yeah, well, I've used I've used them quite a bit. Have, have you Have you used Uber or Lyft?
0: I use um, I, I use Lyft more frequently than Uber because I, in my general experience, the uh, the Lyft drivers are a little bit more friendly, and I like to talk to these people. Um, right. One thing I discovered, maybe you discovered this too, if you if you talk to a, a lot of taxi drivers. Especially in the D.C. area, are refugees from war-torn, war, torn war torn countries. I, uh, mm. I uh, had a had a taxi driver that was, got shot up by the Sandinistas down in Central America. He had a plate oh wow! Dead. I had another one that was, in the Liberian war. I had another one that was part of the uh, the conflict between, Eritrea and um, Ethiopia. I mean, there's a lot of people that have fled have fled their native countries to come here and drive taxis. And um they're kind of getting crushed by Uber and Lyft. And some of them now have moved to Uber and Lyft, but of course the margins for them in that industry are, are lower. So I think there's a I think there's a a, a happy point for the, the taxis to lose some of their their margin, but the, the while the Uber and Lyft drivers c- should gain some margin because as it happens now, the the pricing structure that these companies have chosen is put it, are putting the putting the taxes out of business while not making their companies any money. It doesn't seem like a doesn't seem like a sustainable business plan to me. Right. So I yeah, it's, it's I mean, long
1: longer term. It doesn't sound like it is going to be sustainable. Um, hmm. Yeah. We, uh, my, my, we both have, uh, my wife and I both have Uber and Lyft. And so, uh, I will, uh, we, we, uh, we kind of game the system. We see which one's cheaper. So we're trying to go with the cheaper <laughs> one, you know, but, uh, right. most of the time it's a lot of times it's business travel and I, I can get reimbursed, but, uh, sure. still you want to be a good steward of the if I'm working on a government contract, you know, be a good steward of the taxpayers dollars. So, right. right. Um, yeah. So another thing I was going to mention is I, um, I am going to be on, I'm recording an episode of a podcast next week for another, I mean, a guest of a podcast. Oh, great. Uh, It's called, it's a new podcast. It's only got a few episodes up yet right now. It's called The Cost of Everything. And it's a gentleman in the UK named Amrit Amrit Paul Agar, A-G-A-R. And he started this Cost of Everything um, podcast recently to talk about a variety of cost topics. His very first episode was on the cost of climate change and then I think he's done something about the cost of nuclear uh power and then um he I think he recorded something on his own about his own work that he does um for a company in, in the in the UK and then he, and then he and I are going to talk next week about uh the cost of you know government systems for aerospace and defense and uh, talk about my book a little bit. So, um, All my right. forthcoming book. So, so yeah, so I will, uh, I'll mention this podcast on there, get some, uh, get some cross, uh, advertising and, uh, yeah, I think you would be a good, I will mention him to you too. You think you'd, you'd be a good guest on his show as well.
0: Yeah. And, um, I'm sure we could help him out. Cause we've, we've, um, we've discovered a few things. I, uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm looking forward to your book. It's coming out now in just a couple of months, right?
1: Just a couple of months. Yeah. So, yesterday I uh, turned in my last uh, round of uh, detailed edits. So it's been quite a process learning about how the process of producing a book. So I, you know, submitted a manuscript in um, at the end of April. Uh, my editor at McGraw Hill made a series of edits that I thought were pretty very really good and. Um, but he, he called himself a high-level editor. And so uh, it went from there to um, a company they had contracted with in Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. called Think, Think Book Works. Mm. And um, and they did the what they call the copy edit. So they actually put together in a PDF form, they put together a complete manuscript with all the graphs and tables. So oh, I, cool. I have uh, 90 uh, figures and tables in the book. So it was, mm-hmm. you know um, – and um so i could, could see the complete you know picture so that was sometime in june they sent me a um and i think all the first pass of the manuscript so mm-hmm. they gave me a couple of weeks to come back and they had some questions for me too and suggested edits so i made all those and then i i started looking looking at it and realizing there's some things that need to change so the very first round i had 300 comments
0: Holy and, cow.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, but, but, you know, if you, if you mark off one word and then you add a word, I mean, that's two comments. So it's still, it's, it's still a lot. It's, it's a yeah, 250 yeah. page document. So they sent it back to me again. And, um and I had a shorter amount of time. I had like a week and I made 200 comments. Oh boy. And then to, and I sent that back in the same time it was uh, being indexed. And so the, so this third round, I got to see the index as well as the, uh, you know, kind of close to the end of the book. And so this time it was only about a hundred comments, but uh, every time I I would find some, uh, you know, some mistakes in a table or uh, an example, and I'd fix that and had some inconsistencies. So uh, it's been quite a process trying to uh, get everything. So now, now I think it uh, turned that in yesterday. So it goes to the printer on Friday.
0: So it's. Wow. uh, So you're going to get a, um, a galley copy before too long then?
1: i think so i need to look at the, the exact schedules but yeah so it's supposed to be um, released on november 3rd so that's actually the the same day as the presidential election so you should our listeners should avoid the rush and avoid uh <laughs> having to try to get a copy and vote and just pre-order the book uh, which yeah. is uh, available now through amazon and through barnes noble there's a kindle version as well as there'll be a nook version as well so if you're a I don't know how many people still are using the Nook, but if you're a Nook uh, person, you can still read that. I've a, I'm a fan of the Kindle. I've uh, had a Kindle. I think I use a Kindle app on an iPad now, but I, I used to have a Kindle uh, standalone e-reader. I had that uh, since I think 2008 or 2009.
0: What's the interesting thing about books is that, they, you know, when Kindle came out, they, they um, there were several articles that came out of. In the literature about, wow, well, is this the end of, you know, bound books? And what they discovered was that Kindle and, and Nook they took off pretty quickly, but then they hit a, they hit a plateau. Right. And there's a whole bunch of people, myself included, that uh, like to hold a book. So I, I've got the hardcover copy of your book coming to me. So I, I didn't, uh, I didn't offer any electric electronic version. I've got the, I've got the real thing. I'll right. get a real signature on it the next time I see it because we
1: yes definitely definitely we'll we'll do that i um i uh and hopefully that won't hopefully the things will get better with covid and they'll be sooner rather than later
0: yeah i um support of that
1: you know there's there are' making progress on vaccines, so we'll see how that happens too but yeah i uh and it is kind of interesting you um you can if you go to uh, i can see my sort of my rankings on there's something called Amazon hot new releases. And so you can see that yeah. it's been put into category. So it's kind of interesting how a um, publishing company puts it in a category. So I would have thought my book would have put, been put into risk management, but it's not in risk management. It's in uh project management.
0: Yeah.
1: It's in production and operations, which is a yeah. uh, unique thing. And then because I emphasize uh, planning a lot in the book, you mm-hmm. know, I consider risk management, to the, the you know to be a, a planning function i of it's in the strategic planning category as well so oh great um so you can see kind of where the kindle version and the hardcover version so sometimes the hardcover version is higher ranked than the kindle version sometimes it's the other way around
0: so um
1: yeah this is for a, a book that's not out yet right? interesting. that's that's cool yeah that's right yeah so it's kind of yeah so i are already getting some some pre-orders so so it's,
0: it's good yeah Wow, that's very exciting, Christian. I'm really pulling for you. So, Christian and I typically see each other. I get to remind our listeners we Christians in Tennessee. I'm near. Uh, he's near Nashville. I'm I'm in Los, I'm in California near Los Angeles, and we typically see each other two or three times a year. At various conferences we go to, and I I don't think I've seen you since the last. The last I see uh, it, I it was
1: yeah 2019 in uh, Tampa Tampa, Tampa yeah. yeah
0: yeah so it's been a while yeah um, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to having a chance to see again because um,
1: that'd be great I can maybe maybe the Minnesota conference will and uh, be held next
0: May so yeah I'm looking I'm hoping yeah. they can pull that off so that would be great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'd like to come back out to Southern California. I know that, uh, you know, the, I see a Southern California chapter probably have a meeting again sometime. I haven't been out to Southern California in about, um, uh, plus 2016 was the last time I was out there. I saw you out there and I think that was in, was it December, December of 2016?
0: Yeah. And I believe that was the one that was in San Pedro, if I remember correctly, because I, I intercepted you at breakfast Remember we saw each other at the breakfast down there and
1: that's right, yep, yep, yep. And I think we all went, uh, you and I in a group went to lunch together too, yep. Yeah,
0: yeah, we did. So that was, God, that's a long time ago. Holy cow. Yeah, and you had some,
1: you had some 3D printed, printed models of some of your uh, market analysis. That's pretty neat.
0: Yeah, we had some 3D stuff of the, of the 4D models. And so for our listeners, what we're, we've decided to do, by the way, is, is uh, next time, we will do a video and an audio version of this, and we'll put the, the audio version back up on SoundCloud, as those of you who've been listening to us can get it. And we'll do the video version and put that up on YouTube. And I will assemble a 4D model built on a 3D printer that you can see on your 2D screen that I can hold up in one with one hand. So. Um, this is um th- these kind of models exist. we've proven for every every market that's got uh, roughly two dozen observations or more these these markets form four d systems that actually have have mathematical properties that you can characterize in a statistically significant way, and so we'll we'll show you a few of those uh, next time so um, we're pretty excited about that and um I continue to seek a publisher for my work, Christian. Um, I, I've been told by nobody, nobody tells me I'm wrong. They just tell me I need a bigger platform. So I need to make my platform larger than it is right now. So I'm, I'm going to work on that.
1: Okay. Yep. 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 Yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah. I mentioned, was it Palgrave McMillan was a possibility. Yeah.
0: I'm going to look at those people yeah. and see what they have to say. Yeah. And, uh,
1: yeah. I, uh you know I mentioned uh so you know one of the things that, uh, in my book that I mentioned is uh the need to look at all these different factors together and um I do uh mention that you know the uh, your studies the what you know what you call the field of multi dimensional economics um, is a way to kind of look at that so you're, you're uh you're referenced uh, oh great there and you've got a footnote footnote with uh your website
0: on there as well so oh well thank you for the citation christian i appreciate sure. it well my fi- book gets out there i'm sure i'll have more than one citation back to you because um I-, I quote you pretty heavily too so that'll be great so uh yeah um, um so i uh I'm, I'm wondering how we get through this, um, this COVID crisis. And I, I'm wondering if we should continue to talk about it today or you want to pick it up next time, or do you have some other ideas that would carry us in through to next time?
1: Uh, I think probably we can, we can probably discuss that a little bit next time and we can, okay. uh yeah, Leave the reader wanting something more, maybe there'll be some new developments and some different data to analyze. It's uh, it is interesting. You know, one of the things I looked at recently was, um, we can talk about this more next time. Maybe this will be a thought to carry us so the next time was, if you've just looked at, you considered uh, some states, uh, like in terms of recent cases, if you considered some states as a country, and then you compared them to all the other countries around the world, the, uh, the top four states where cases have been increasing lately are more per capita than any other country in the world. So um, that includes uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, Iowa, and
0: Alabama. Wow, so that's really crazy. Yeah. yeah. So the Christian stuff. Tell them again about your um, where they can find your your stuff on your off of your blog, and I'll tell them where they can find my stuff on LinkedIn. That's where I've been posting.
1: Yeah. So you you can find my tell my, of my book is Solving for Project Risk Management, and you can find that on Amazon and Barnes and Noble's uh, websites. It's not in stores yet, but you can find you can pre-order it there and, and read about the book. So read some more information about it. Um, you can also, um, if you're interested, contact me and I can provide you with uh, chapter one of the book for free. My publisher's put that into a PDF form. Uh, and my blog is, at, uh, Christian, B smart, be as in boy, Christian, B smart dot smart.com. An easy way to remember my name is my middle name is Boyd. So, uh, on school rolls it was smart, Christian Boyd. <laughs> but given the length of Christian, which is nine letters, the, the D and Boyd would get cut off. So on school rolls, my name would sometimes appear as Smart Christian
0: Boyd.
1: <laughs> uh, so you think of me as, so you remember my name uh, for that. So so com, and you can uh, you can find my my blog there.
0: Yeah, and if, for those of you that are interested in looking at, I put up most of my posts on uh, LinkedIn. And so I'm at Douglas Howard douglas Howard at uh, linkedin.com and i've got uh, dozens of posts talking about 2d 3d and 4d phenomena Uh, there's one there about 5d and uh, there's a couple there about covid in four dimensions so you might find that interesting too so so christian it's been a great my great pleasure to talk to you today
1: oh it's always uh always enjoy talking with you doug it's good
0: I'll look forward to talking to you next time. It should be in about a couple of weeks from now, right? Yep. Sounds good. Smart Remarks, Howard States. is brought to you by Me, Inc., the discoverers of and world leader in multidimensional economics. Please visit our website at www.meevaluators.com you can address your questions to the show at info at me evaluators.com you can follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash M-E-E-L-L-C you can follow us on Instagram at www.instagram.com slash me evaluators on Twitter at at me4D and you can follow me personally on Twitter at at Douglas underscore Howard.